Bet365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sports. The app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. And welcome to the Molyneux View podcast from The Athletic with me, Jackie Oatley, and with Tim Spears, who is live and dangerous in my front room today, which is where I normally record the pod. Hello. Hello. Was the coffee all right? The cookies were better. No, the coffee was good. It was good. It was great. Uh, What a lovely setting. We've got elephant ornaments instead of seats at Molyneux. That's my African background. My mum's South African and... uh, yeah, we have got a bit of an African theme. I'd quite like a few more animal heads, but that's fine. It's all good. We're we're buzzing. What a great day to be recording a podcast about wolves, right? Well, do you know what? Last week when we recorded, I think I started off by saying, how lucky are you in your job? You've just come off a, a 4-0 home win against Espanyol and then a 3-0 home win against Norwich. And then this week, you've been to Barcelona, you've seen your team that you supported as a boy qualify for the last 16 of the Europa League. And then you've gone to, I think, the most beautiful football stadium in the world and seen them win there, having gone two goals down. Are you OK? Are you OK with all this? Like, that was all amazing. And then, I, and then I got to chat to one of my heroes, Robert Plant, yesterday as well, which always, like, honestly, the amount of football managers and players and famous people and... Um, famous broadcasters, Jackie, that I've met in my career. And don't get nervous at all, it's fine. But Robert Plant, I was shaking yesterday. And I've met him a few times and I've been to see him in concert and seen him backstage and whatever, it's great. But every time I see him, I get the shakes. Like, I absolutely like adore the guy, I don't know what to say to him. So that topped it all off. Honestly, I'm in such a good mood. It's been an amazing, it's been an amazing week, despite the defeat on Thursday. Uh, everybody's buzzing, fan base happiness levels are off the scale. And now everybody's looking forward with such expectations to the last, what, 10, 12 weeks of the season and just wondering what the heck is going to happen next. Slightly weird to think that Wolves only got promoted the end of the season before last. This is only their second season in the Premier League, but extraordinary. Anyway, to the Spurs games, everybody wants to, everyone wants to gather more information about it because it wasn't on the television, which was, it feels like an infringement of your basic human rights, doesn't it? Not be able to watch a team live in the Premier League. And the lot that went looked like they had an absolute ball. But in terms of the performance, let's go back to when you first saw the Tottenham team sheet. What were you thinking? That Wolves have, Potentially got a better 11 on the day than Spurs here. I mean, with Vertonghen and Aldevaro left out, with Kane injured, with Son injured, with Ericsson sold. You know, Spurs Spurs are weak at the moment. Spurs are weak and vulnerable, I would say. That's what we thought. And I predicted on air, uh, on Wolves TV, with Mikey Burrows and Andy Thompson, that Wolves would win 2-0. I thought it was going to be... I thought it could be quite a comfortable win. It was a really interesting, fascinating game. Low on quality in the first half, I thought. And then the second half, it really became quite a spectacle. Great game for the neutral. And what struck me is that Wolves played Spurs quite recently in December. Wolves should have won that day, but they didn't. Spurs did. 
And the difference that day was in both boxes, those fine margins that have cost Wolves twice against Liverpool as well recently. And the opposite was true on Sunday. Wolves got it right in both boxes. Yes, a couple of defensive mistakes, I know. But they were so clinical, so clinical. And we've levelled that as, as a criticism at them at times in the last 18 months. They've not quite been clinical enough or scored enough goals. I mean, yesterday, three unbelievably well-worked goals. I mean, quite scintillating, the way that they can move the ball from halfway to the penalty area at such speed. The movement is very intelligent. Jota just brings... I think Jota brings this team to another level when he's on when he's on fire. And... But that's the point, though, isn't it? When he's on fire, which he wasn't in the first half of last season. His first in the Premier League, possibly because of the formation there. And this season he's been, we said last week, streaky. Streaky in terms of his goal tally. And he's had that niggle this season. But how satisfying do you think it would have been for Nuno to be playing the front three, knowing that Jota tends to thrive in a two, but him being key and being involved in all three goals? Yeah, and also the fact that he rested him on Thursday and then he comes back in and plays so well. And you look at Wolves' unbelievable exertions this season and a lot of them played in, in Espanyol last Thursday in Barcelona. So you think in last 20, it's Spurs who after you know a bit more rest and whatever should be the ones coming on strong in the last 20. But Wolves just defy physics week after week at the moment. They are stronger and fitter than other teams. Despite having played more games and, and having fewer players in their squad, they've got the smallest Premier League squad. And they're playing more games than anybody. They should be falling over after, after 70 minutes, but they're not. They're getting stronger. They're coming from behind again. And Jota, yeah, he's on. if he starts doing what he did from February to May last year, as he is doing at the moment, then he can take walls anywhere. He can win games single-handedly. He defends from the front. He's tenacious. Involved in all three goals yesterday. Superb movement. For me, he's their best attacking player on his day. And Traore has enjoyed a phenomenal season, as we'll talk a lot about on this week's podcast. But one telling stat for me is that in the last three games, slash 11 days, that Jota's played, he scored six goals. Traore scored six goals all season. You look at end products and and we're on his day. Jota's got much more of it, and he's better better team player and better at defender from the front. He's he's phenomenal on his day, and he could be a massive difference in the next few weeks. Again, you talk about on his day. This season, he has been in and out. Do you think that's because of his injury, or do you think he's still finding his feet in the Premier League, or do you think it's because he's still a young player and that can breed inconsistency, or is it a formation issue and he's better in a two up front with Raúl? I don't think he's finding his feet. I think he did that last season after a very slow start. I think injuries haven't helped. He's had a couple of niggles here or there. And then the form of Traore. Um, if if Traore's playing as well as we know he can, just give him the ball. You don't just you don't just give him the ball um over the last man or wait for him to find space and play him in, in the thirds. You give him the ball if he's at right back and just let him do his thing. So it's very tempting and very easy to just give the ball to Traore. And I think Jota might have suffered a bit from that. Um but yeah, the last the last ten days or so, he's been he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's, he has got the complete package. He almost scored with a header as well on Sunday, by the way. <laughs> the guy's got everything. So and he's still only twenty three as well. It's quite frightening what he can do. Do you think the winter break has had a really positive impact on Wolves? Because it wasn't that long ago we were talking about how exhausted they looked, rightly or wrongly. But the likes of Watford away when they really weren't themselves at all, and even Norwich away. Yes, they came back to win, but they're pretty 
ropey in that first half. Has, have they really benefited in a way that Liverpool have looked the complete opposite? I think it's probably more of a mindset issue than, than a physical issue. And just two weeks off to rest the brain and get a bit of sun on their backs and come back refreshed. I don't think I don't think one weekend without a game is going to do much for them physically at this point. I think it's more of a mental issue. And the fact that they haven't got many players means it probably has benefited them more than others. They've got Pedence in the squad as well, which has been a bit of a boost. Players back from injury, Jota and, and Bolly. So they're in a very good position and they can look ahead now to the running with such confidence. They've got such a platform in in two competitions now. It's very clear what their goals are. Domestic Cups are out of the way. And I think they're setting themselves up for a very exciting next few months. They really are. Before we talk about the rest of the season, Europa League and possibly Champions League, dare we say it, let's just reflect on that away match at Espanyol. Again, they lost 3-2, but could easily have won 3-2, were it not for an extraordinary open goal miss by Pedro Neto. I mean, I haven't seen anything like it before. Ronnie Rosenthal that is, is, is that level, isn't it? He he called Neto up after the game to, to thank him. I think for taking some of the light, taking some of the light away from him. The clip show is going to be dominated by Neto now in the future. Oh, it's phenomenal. I don't, if you watch the replays, he doesn't actually look at the ball. I think that's what's happened. And um, sorry, he doesn't actually look at the goal. That's what happened. His head's down, and he he thinks he knows where the goal is, and he clearly doesn't. And I felt so sorry for him. Full time, he was straight down the tunnel, and Mick Zone after the game. Walked past, head down, a colleague of mine tried to stop him for an interview, absolutely no chance. So I feel for him, a young lad, uh, he's not played a huge amount of football in his career, high profile, and that happens. So he'll get over it. i tell you what, he'll get over it because you look at what he did at, um, at Spurs on Sunday. He came on with 10, 20 to go and he took on about four players in one movement at one point. Wolves were under immense pressure and he took the ball about 60 yards upfield, took on four players Played it to Jimenez, who nearly scored. Phenomenal run. Reminded me of John Daddy Bodvarsson at Anfield a couple, a couple of years ago in that cup game. So he'll he'll be fine. It was a shocking miss. And it summed up a bit of an off night for Wolves, really. The players weren't happy afterwards at all. You know, they'd got through. The fans, most of whom had been drinking in the Barcelona sun for 10 hours, were understandably in good spirits. Um, but the players, um, not so much, really. I think they'd probably had a bit of a roasting from Nuno. Very poor defensively. That third goal was so unlike them. Static defending from across. No one went towards the ball. You very, very rarely see that from Wolves defenders. So, but hey, come on, big picture wise, the game was won the week before with a bit of a Nuno masterstroke. Neves won the goal. Jota's goals. So yeah, they can now look forward to the last sixteen and beyond. And if they are going to make those errors and mentally switch off then rather it happens in those kind of games when Nuno can give them a rollicking when, frankly, it doesn't really matter because they have booked their place in the last 16. Yeah, the game was won with, with Traore's goal to make it one all. It was game over. Espanyol got an early goal. If they got a second, you might get a bit worried. But no, Traore, back in his hometown, scored, all his family watching on. Great moment for him. And um, it was an interesting game thereafter. Some positives, Pedence involved in both goals. That was the primary positive. But he could rest rest Jimenez, Jota and Neves didn't play a minute. Vinagre came off, Traore came off, Saiz played half an hour. So we set them up perfectly for Spurs and then they, then they got the job done on Sunday. Traore's celebration or non-celebration was very Stuart Pearce-like. Do you remember he used to look quite angry when he scored, which happened quite a lot, by the way. Um, do you think it was partly because of the, the treatment 
the physical treatment and the battering that he took and he was just pretty fed up of the whole thing, putting it politely. Yeah, we asked him about this after the game actually and yes, you're right. I mean, they got him booked early on. I haven't seen, never seen a replay like that. We didn't have replays annoyingly in the press box so I didn't see what happened. But he, what? Just sending you videos, wasn't I, all the yeah, time? You were, yeah. yeah. Um, he got an innocuous booking in the first few minutes and I felt like Espanyol were just trying to get him sent off and former Barcelona player, he was getting a bit of stick from the crowd for that, which you expect. But they were trying to rile in. They were poking and poking away at him. And I thought Wolves did well not to rise to their tactics actually quite a lot. And the referee, an extremely card-happy referee as well, um, who's got unbelievable form this season for Reds and Yellows. So I thought they coped quite well. If it was a real meaningful competitive game, it might be a different story. But because the game was in the bag, they could relax a little bit and say, guys, what the hell are you doing? So, um, yeah, great moment for him. Obviously, he needs to score more goals. Six is not six is not a reflection of his talent. That's um, There's not much you can say he can improve on this season, but goal scoring would definitely be one of them. We will go into greater detail about Adama Traore. We've got George Friend, the former Wolves defender, uh, and currently a Middlesbrough who knows him well from his time at Borough. Very much looking forward to hearing from him very shortly. Um, but in terms of the draw, you tweeted, Tim, having looked at the potential opponents, and you picked out Olympiacos as somebody who would... Never easy. You know, I can't stand it when people talk about easy draws and easy fixtures. I get very nervous. But it could have been worse, couldn't it? And in terms of the away travel, I think the supporters will have a great time as well. Yeah, I was analysing all the potential permutations the night before and there were some horrible trips. Shakhtar Donetsk being one because they're not playing at the home ground at the moment. Um, Wolfsburg's nowhere near an airport, you know, for example. There were some not great trips. There were some not great teams to play. You don't want to be going to Italy at the moment, that's for sure. And you don't want to be playing Man United after three games and one goal in January. We do not want that. So I thought Olympiacos, a tough but winnable tie. Obviously, Wolves can win that tie, but tough. Um, you've got to say they knocked Burnley out of last season's competition in the qualifiers. They drew away at Spurs earlier this season. A certain guy called Pedence played quite well and scored. And they've just beaten Arsenal away. However, it's going to be a real. It's going to be a real tough test. I hope fans appreciate that because if you look at the teams they've played so far, I don't think they've had a really tough test. The best Bra- Braga beat them. Braga were pretty good, and apart from that, the best team they've played is Torino, and Torino are 14th in Serie A. Espanyol are bottom of La Liga. Um, Besiktas having an awful season by their standards, or at least they were when Wolves played them, and Slovan Bratislava. You know, not much, up, not much from them either. So Wolves, Wolves have had a pretty decent run to this stage. And I think going away to Olympiacos, some 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 supporters might be in for a little bit of surprise as to as to the the jumping quality that they're going to face at this point. However, I think they, they they need that, and we want that, and we want big games, and it's a bit of a glamour tie. Olympiacos got great European pedigree, decent to get to in terms of travel, and hopefully a massive massive occasion at Molyneux for the second leg. We were both there for the Espanyol home game. I thought it was a bit flat. I think fans are kind of expecting them to win that game. I want a big, juicy Europa League tie to get their teeth stuck into. But it's important for the players and the manager as well that the fans really are massively on their game for that and don't come with any expectation or complacency. They can't afford that. No, absolutely. And you look at how the tie will likely play out. I can't see Wolves winning comfortably in Greece in the first leg. So a draw, a narrow win, maybe a narrow defeat, and it's going to be all to play for at Molyneux in the second leg. And I have absolutely no doubt that the place will be rocking. Yeah, because we talk to managers and, and players of 
various clubs, not just Wolves, but they do talk about how absolutely essential it is that the fans don't wait for them to give them something to shout about, that they actually carry it right from the first whistle. I'm sure Molyneux will be rocking. We've had loads of tweets, actually a lot more than last week, by the way. We did actually look at them last week, but we realised that we'd uh, actually answered all the questions. So we've got quite a few to get through here. But David Evans asks, how realistic is a push for fourth and fifth for a Champions League spot this season? Because, of course, we don't know what's going to happen with the Manchester City appeal. Or are we getting ahead of ourselves with a result against Spurs starting 11 that should have been beaten anyway compared to our lineup? Really? Um, can you really say we should have beaten Spurs? I don't think so. Should we say we should be beating Norwich, for example? You know, not necessarily. They could have beaten. They could have beaten Wolves at Carrow Road quite easily. So, Dave, I love you, mate, but I'm I'm not keen on that kind of presuming that we should be winning away. Wolves should be winning away at Spurs at all. However, look at the table. Chelsea, very inconsistent team and struggling at home. Fifth place, potentially Champions League, as we know. Wolves are in prime position. They're in great form. I'm backing them to go on a run. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I am backing them to go on a prolonged run like they did from September to December earlier in the season. And if you look at the run-in, I tweeted a very interesting table yesterday which shows that every everybody's running. The teams that they've got to face, what are their points per game's record? And Wolves' opposition uh, have got the weakest uh, points per game totals tallied up because they've already played Liverpool twice, Man City, Spurs, Man United, Leicester. They've played them all twice, all out of the way. Chelsea's the hardest game they've got, and that's not till the last day of this season. So the running is favourable, and I know last season Wolves really struggled against the, against the weaker sides. That's not the case this year. They've got a 100% record against the teams currently in the bottom three, who are Bournemouth, Villa, Norwich. They've beaten Norwich twice. Bournemouth once and Villa once, and they've got Bournemouth and Villa still to play. They've got a decent record against the weaker teams, and if they can keep that up for the rest of the season, then fifth is very much in their sights. And I think from this point onwards, the target for the season in the league was progression. Now, this is from Jeff Shee's own mouth. Now, this is seventh or above, and seventh where they finished last season. If they get more points this season and still finish seventh, Jeff Shee said... That's progress. That's what we want. Improvement, as Nuno says, get better, improve year on year, match on match, week by week. But I think sixth where they are now is should be their minimum target at this point, I really do, given the fixtures they've got, the form they're in and the inconsistencies of the teams around them. It's very, very tight, isn't it, when you look at that table we've got in front of us as we speak with... Uh... Manchester United in fifth, 42 points, and Wolves only behind them on goal difference. And then Spurs, a couple of points behind. Sheffield United do have a game in hand on Wolves, of course, so they could leapfrog them uh, and be a point above were they to win that. But Steve Herman asks, what should be the focus for Wolves? Pushing for a Champions League spot via the Premier League or reaching the Europa League final? Of course, winning that nets the same result, but you can't pick both. I mean, just let's just, <laughs> let's just yeah. catch ourselves here for a second. Here we are sitting and asking which route to the Champions League would Wolves prefer? I mean, now forgive me because I mentioned this a couple of times in the last week or so and, and on Twitter, but it is only three years ago that Wolves were losing six games in a row and finish 15th in the Championship. It is extraordinary, isn't it, that we're even asking this question? Yeah, it is. I think, I think Man City... As it stands, not being in the in Europe next season has really opened things up, and I think we all expected Spurs to really kick on under Mourinho. But the fact that Kane and Son are out is essentially going to derail their season. 
I think everybody maybe expected Arsenal to come on really strong. That hasn't quite happened. So the challengers just aren't presenting themselves yet. And Wolves, like I said, are in in terms of quality and first eleven are right up there with these with these massive clubs that I'm talking about here. So in terms of a priority, I don't like that, and I don't think Nuno likes that. And I think when he's done that towards the start of the season and chopped and changed these eleven a lot, we're talking five, six changes from Premier League to Europa League and vice versa. That's when they came unstuck. That's when the results were inconsistent. If he starts, I don't see it happening for one minute, but if he starts prioritising one over the other, then you're going to get inconsistent results. I, I don't see it happening at all. I think it's a big ask physically, but I think that's what he'll ask of the players to keep going, to keep going, go again, and he'll make, he'll make changes when he has to. But you look at the fitness of the squad, 21 points from losing positions, so that's six more than anybody else. You look at the injury record, there's only Johnny out at the moment and Traore having a couple of niggles here and there. They're in fine fettle physically and I think they can I think they can keep this going in both competitions and I think that's what they'll aim to do for the rest of the season. If you ask me which is the easier route to the Champions League, Jackie Oatley, which is a bizarre thing to say, then before Norwich, I'd have said the Europa League. But after these two wins, Norwich and Spurs, six goals scored, challenges faltering... Um, I would say, and they're running now ahead of them, I would say that the league, if fifth place is going to be equal Champions League, the league is the more likely way to get in there. That's a slightly frustrating thing, isn't it? Because teams don't know really what they're aiming for. Of course, you're going to aim for fourth place, but you also know that that's quite a tall order. And we don't even know when we'll know um, whether fifth place will get anybody a place in the Champions League. So in terms of planning for the future, recruitment, of course, because your Champions League squad compared to your Europa League squad, it's going to look a little bit different. Yeah, well, they'll have to sort it out quickly because the qualifiers for Europe start in July, as Wolves, as Wolves well know. So it, the Man City issue will have to be sorted before then. Uh, it was the same last year. They were waiting on Man City last year to see if they get into Europe and they did the business for them at the end of May. So, hey, if they have to wait until the end of May, middle of June to see if they're in the Champions League or the Europa League, I think we'll probably take it. <laughs> This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, your budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers. Try and everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Stitch Fix allows you to save time because they do the shopping for you. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Right now, that's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X co.uk forward slash athletic. Do you think there's a chance they won't be in the Europa League at all next season? Are people getting a little bit carried away talking about Champions League or is that just because we're sitting here 24 hours after that fabulous win at Tottenham? No, I think it's okay. I think it's okay too, honestly, the position that they're in. This is what the players will be thinking. They won't say it publicly, but this is what the players will be thinking. This, of course, they will. Nuno will be thinking this. He'll never, ever, ever say it. Ever. But Nuno will be thinking it. Well, of course he will. They've got a great opportunity here. These opportunities don't come around very often where teams like Man United, Spurs and Arsenal are really struggling for consistency and results and Chelsea as well. 
So they've got a golden opportunity here and it just feels just feels like the planets are aligning a little bit to me and every time I try and downplay things, Jackie, in the last two years, they go and defy my expectations. I never thought they'd reach Europe in a season in the Premier League. I never thought they'd storm to championship title in Nuno's first season. So why not? As the man himself said a couple of weeks ago, and he's not very colourful with his language, as we know, dreaming is for free. And that's becoming a bit of a catchphrase now already. I think that'll be the theme of the next few weeks from the fans. So, um, yeah, everyone's having the time of their lives. And Wolves are so hard to beat, you've got to say that as well. They've only lost six games all season in the Premier League. Six games all season. A couple of those, very tough. When they Tottenham at home, they shouldn't have lost that. Liverpool at home, they shouldn't have lost that. Yeah, two yeah two defeats to Liverpool. You, you, can't, you can't argue with that. But as you say, they ran them close. So they're very hard to beat. They're very, very, very well drilled. Perfect example yesterday, and they highlighted this on Match of the Day on Sunday night, that Spurs try and copy Wolves' formation and go 3-4-3. They just don't have the know-how to do it, um, or the players to do it necessarily, from what a week's training. These guys, Cody, Bolly, Jota, Neves, they've been doing this for two and a half years now. They know exactly their roles inside out to perfection. No one will fancy playing them in Europe or the Premier League. You, you've got to say, nobody will fancy playing them. And if they keep their key attacking players fit and on form, in form, then why not? And touch wood, the issue with injury is less of an issue, really, at Wolves and other clubs, because we know about the investment in injury prevention. But they were without Johnny um, in that game. And if you're Jose Mourinho, you're going to be saying, right, Aim for that, the young lad, Ruben Vinagre, not necessarily known particularly for his defensive qualities, better going forwards. And and they still managed to win the game at Tottenham despite that and the fact that he, he is so good going forwards. Yeah, Vinagre um, involved in the first goal. I thought he did I thought he did brilliantly. Fantastic combination with Jota for that. Vinagre, J- Johnny wouldn't have been able to do that um, to hair past Jota and, and the head to the line and stick over a low cross with his left foot. Johnny, Johnny can't do that. He's not that type of player. On the flip side... Aurier wouldn't have beaten Johnny for that goal. I'm convinced of that. Johnny would have would have shown him down the line or he wouldn't have let him get a shot away in that manner. That's what you're going to get with, with Vinagra and a lot of these Wolves players. This is what they do. They, they, they don't sign ready-made first-team superstars. Wolves just don't do that. They sign younger players who are improving and need games to improve. So Vinagra hasn't played as much as he would have liked this year and obviously he's had his injury as well. But I see him coming on leaps and bounds in the coming years. But he needs games. You don't... You can't um, you can't learn about those defensive nuances on the training ground or on videos or on a piece of paper. You've got to play games week after week. So that's what it's going to take for him. Yeah, Stephen Bennett was asking about that. About do you think that his infrequent use off the bench has stunted his growth as a player? But he's not going to be given game time every week with Johnny playing so well there, is he? And defensively, so much stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you could yeah you could say his progress would have been more rapid if he was playing every week, but. Um, the fact that he's training with Nuno every single day and involved in every single squad every single week if he's fit he'll be learning a lot so uh, it may have stunted his growth but not by a lot Ronan Gibbons asks if we get Champions League football next season which positions would need improving and could you see us bringing in a big name signing not necessarily their way is it it's not their way don't see it happening at all I think Jimenez 30 million it's about as much as they'll they'll spend at the moment they this is the whole ethos, the whole ethos of recruitment and of the club. You know, they don't they don't sign big ready ready made superstars. They don't want egos who are going to disrupt the dressing room on massive wages, being paid double what everyone else is. They they're just not going to do that. They're an investment firm. 
They're not going to spend 100 million on a player who might be worth 70 million in two years' time. They will not do that. They will sign players between 10 million and 20 million, aged 21 to 24, who've got a ceiling for improvement and, you know, unpolished gems from less likely sources that, that other clubs will be looking at. You know, Bolly. Bolly was no, no means a ready made superstar at all. Jota, etc. Johnny, Traore. So this is what they do. I'd be very, very, very surprised if they change that approach this summer. I think that they see their way to get into the top six and staying there is by signing younger players who will improve and stay at a high level um, and aren't going to disrupt the very important team dynamics that Nuno's instilled. Dave Harrison asks, would you sell Triori for 70 to 80 million in the summer, use Neto and Pudence more freely and strengthen the squad elsewhere? Dave, um, 70 million? I don't, I mean, well, the Pudence point, we haven't seen enough of him yet, um, surprisingly. I thought he was, I thought he was good at, at Espanol last week, but we haven't seen enough of him yet to judge him. Um, that's a good question. The thing about Traore is when I compare him to Jota, I think Jota's got a higher ceiling for me. I wonder, I wonder if is Traore got a massive room for improvement from from this point on. I'm not sure really. Like I said, you look at his goals output for for this season, six goals. It's not it's not quite enough um, for the top level. I don't think any seventy million pound bids will come in for him this summer. I think he hasn't produced this level of football for long enough for massive, massive clubs to, to take a chance on him because it would still be a chance. And you look at, like I said, his goals output, it's not enough for a team like Barcelona to, to come back in for him. So you also look at his injury record at the moment as well. So I don't see that bid coming in. I think the, the big names that they want to be worried about will be Jimenez and Neves. Oh, it's almost like you knew what this next question was going to be because Wolves first asked, a bit like Dave Harrison's question, given his age, current market value, which will obviously depreciate year on year, would you sell Raul in the summer if an offer of, say, £80 million came in for him? It just depends on the replacement because he's quite unique in terms of his goal-scoring ability mixed with his link play, mixed with his work rate, mixed with his humility. It's rare, it's very rare to get a, to get a superstar striker along those lines. The guy's got three million followers in Mexico, you meet him, he's so down to earth, honestly. He's so focused on his football, he's so professional, he's family-minded. When given time off last October for pretty much his first break of the calendar year, the guy went to Stonehenge and Salisbury Cathedral. That's not normal. That's not normal. You know, you think you'd be going to Vegas, right? Um, or wherever, wherever footballers go, Ayanapa. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not usual. So finding a replacement for Jimenez who we must say is completely adaptable to the two formations that Wolves play as well, which isn't the case for some of the others. It'll be very hard. Again, I don't see an offer of that much coming in for him personally. So it would all depend on a, on a replacement, as it would with any of these guys if offers come in. Um, I mean, they've, they've tried to find backups for him and struggled. So I don't see many players like Jimenez on the market. We've got another couple of um, tweets to ask Tim about. Questions about Molyneux, the stadium, a potential move, and also about Nuno's relationship with the media, because uh, he did 
some well a fascinating interview that was in three of the papers at the weekend um, and about Wall's relationship with journalists in the mix zone. We'll talk about that um, right at the end. But first of all, let's hear from George Friend, former Wolves defender, now at Middlesbrough, who is very eloquent. And we thought he would be the ideal person to give us some insight into Adama Traore, the phenomenon that is Adama Traore, who Wolves signed for £18 million from Middlesbrough, formerly of Aston Villa, and prior to that was at Barcelona. Here's what George Friend had to say. So, George, when you first met Adama Traore and you first trained with him, what were your initial impressions? Uh, probably the same as everyone else, that he's seriously fast. Um, he uh, he joined in a training match uh, at, at the training ground here at Middlesbrough. And he just, I think the first time he got the ball, he just ran past everyone. Uh, and Ben Gibson and myself at the time just looked at each other and thought, we're either we've seriously got slow now, or this guy is incredible, and and I think thankfully it's he's incredibly quick, and we were just amazed by his his physical attributes. But then, obviously, getting to know him as a teammate, you you learnt you know what the Adama Traore was like as a person, and thankfully I can say he's an incredible man as well to match that that physical prowess. He's he's just a great guy. So when you say he's a great guy, what kind of person is he? Is he shy? Is he gregarious? Is he modest? Is he got a bit of an ego? Not not at all. That was that was the most surprising thing. I think with someone so athletic and such an incredible talent, you'd think an ego, but not at all. He's very humble, incredibly polite, and most of all around the place at Middlesbrough, he was always so respectful. And uh, as a, an individual as well, career-wise, he was incredibly ambitious, focused, driven, you know, not a lot of people know all the work he does off the pitch. I mean, OK, he's an incredible athlete and it's all natural, but uh, he works so hard off the pitch to harness that and improve those sort of uh, innate attributes that he possesses. He he has his own personal trainer that he, he has. So I don't know if he still has him at Wolves. I imagine he does, but it's all these little extra things that people don't see. Did he carry any sort of psychological baggage from the fact that it hadn't worked out at Barcelona and he didn't really make it in true style at Villa either? I don't think so. I think it was, it, was, it was the reverse. I think he thought, right, I want to be the best. I want to get back to, to Barcelona or that level. And he's doing a good job of it now. And certainly at this time at Middlesbrough, that really probably put him on the map in terms of his performances uh, consistently. And that enabled his enabled his move to Wolves, which, again, as an ex-Wolves player, I thought it was a perfect fit for him. Uh, the the passion in that area and I knew the fans would take to him straight away and uh, I think at the time he might have been linked to Huddersfield as well and I just I was praying he wouldn't go there I was, I was hoping he'd go to Wolves because uh, what we can see now it's been it's been brilliant. You say how hard he worked and he had his own personal trainer as well uh, but obviously he worked very closely with Tony Pulis as well what was that relationship like? Uh, it was Adama might say otherwise but it looked sort of like father and son kind of relationship in terms of Tony put his arm around him and he was, Adam was the main man. He was the one we, we were told to give him the ball and he'd do the rest. And more often than not, he would, he would come up with the goods. So uh, I think he embraced the fact that he had that weight on his shoulders from, from Tony being the one that was going to help us succeed. And we got very close. We got to the playoff semifinals and uh, it was then, of course, time for Adam to move on. He'd done everything he could uh, at Middlesbrough. But he, uh, I think that the the manager treated him really well at the time. Uh, Tony treated him really well at the time, and and Adama needed that. And 
he he kept it very simple for him as well and it we all knew that the talent was there and and it was all down to Adama's hard work and focus that, that he, he was able to do that. I heard that Tony Pulis used to talk him through games, literally tell him from the touchline, I guess when he was on his side, as to what he should be doing during matches. Is that true? <laughs> they might not have been the most uh, elaborate uh, instructions. I think most of the time it was either run or shoot or cross, but... Um... <laughs> Because with Adaba, if he had the ball and was running, especially in the championship, he was he was unstoppable, like like he's showing now. I think it helped when he played on that side, the dugout side, for sure, because the manager could be in his ear. Uh, but after a while, I think it was just it, it became so natural for for Adama, and those performances were consistent. And like I said, that's what enabled him to to move higher up. In terms of your um, the hours you spent with him on the training ground and the hours you've spent with him on the pitch, how do you stop him? Is there any way, other than fouling him, which is what a lot of people have done this season, is how, how do you stop him? I think even trying to foul him's hard. That's 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 the problem because in training, I, as a left back as well, at the time, um, I would come up against him quite a lot in training, and I think a lot of the time I'd just have to try and guess where he'd knock the ball. But he could even show you where he's going to put it, and you're not stopping him. It's I've never experienced it. You know, normally you can, with a player who's fast, you can get back and you might be able to slide to stop it. But even if you're sliding, he's already there and he's crossing the ball. I think that's what he's done so well at Wolves. He enables himself just to get that extra yard. And his, his crossing and his final, his end product's been amazing. But I think it was uh, recently against Spurs, just yesterday, uh, Tanganga clattered into him. And he's just bounced off the off the floor of Dharma, kept the ball and passed it through and Wolves have scored. And... This is the thing, I don't think you can stop him. Even trying to put two people on him, I don't know if that's going to work because it frees up other space. And, of course, Wolves have got fantastic players. So uh, he's a great weapon to have in your armoury, that's for sure. So he improved a great deal at Middlesbrough. How much do you think he's improved since he spent time with Nuno at Wolves? Obviously, followed him closely. I've been speaking to Adama because I got on well with him uh, while he was at Middlesbrough. And uh, I know in his first season he played a few different positions I think you can really see this season it's clicked for him in uh, still playing wide but coming in more central as well at times and I think playing with better players as well is always going to help and I think that helps every player when you're surrounded by better players and no doubt Wolves have better players than we have here at Middlesbrough so um, that would have helped him as well but um, by the looks of things Nuno's been very patient with him and also helped him instruction wise and again his end products just keeps improving improving and that's why these incredible price tags on his on his head because he is worth that in my opinion it's been said quite a lot that he used to not have a very good end product until this season at Wolves do you think that was fair it's I think because he creates that many chances for himself that you it'll seem like maybe that they're not always great balls or the final product isn't perfect but when someone's able to create that much, it's probably hard to do it brilliantly every time. I mean, you see you see a lot of players making mistakes, but because Adama's able to create himself these opportunities, he gets judged so many more times in a match. So I didn't think it was always fair. Yeah, he, he could probably admit that his end product wasn't brilliant at the start, but playing games helps as well. You forget his age as well and, and playing matches helps all that side of the game. The, the off the ball run in the the tactical side, it's it's playing matches that's helped and he's certainly played quite a few now for Wolves so that would definitely have contributed. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about what he's like socially, off the pitch? What's he like when you're training, in the dressing room, um, team dinners as a friend, that kind of thing? Yeah, he, he always got involved with the, the team stuff. Uh, he, he's, he's quite quiet in a big group, but his, his personality came out more the more he was playing at Middlesbrough. And by the end, uh, everyone in the change room was joking with him and stuff, whereas maybe at the start he was a bit quieter. But uh, always always a really polite guy. And uh, he used to ride this uh, scooter, like a little electric scooter into training because he didn't drive. And uh, he, he used to get a bit of stick for that, which was quite funny. And sometimes you'd see him, because he only lived five, ten minutes away, you'd see him going off on his scooter and uh, yeah, he'd get the lads would enjoy that anyway. But uh, now he's a very caring person, actually, and close with his family. And if he had the opportunity to go back to Spain, he'd do that, of course, to, to see his mum, who I know he's very close with. So a real family person as well. But I'd say he's a very caring teammate and it's not often a, a quality you see a lot of. Looking into his um, background, George, his determination seems it's quite striking, really, perhaps more than more than your average footballer. I mean, he's still only 24. How how far do you think that determination can take him in his in his career? Right to the top. I really, I, I think he could play for any of the, the top teams in Europe. I think you know, Wolves are, are really pushing that now anyway in the Premier League. But I think he could go back to the level where he started at with, with the likes of your Barcelona's and Real Madrid's. I think he's he's got that thing that is so unique and he is just physically so so impressive and because he's honed that other side to his game and and that will keep improving I don't think he's even at his best yet then sky's the limit for him and he truly believes that I think that's the most important thing I think psychologically and mentally he's able to cope with that and that's the difference with the real top players and for me Adama possesses that he's he's incredible and just finally from us, George, when you arrived at Wolves, you were a very young lad having come from Exeter. How do you reflect on your time there? It was under Mick McCarthy's tutelage and I'm very thankful for that. I didn't play as many games as I'd hoped to, but I, I, my, own, my own admission, I, I wasn't ready to. I was in a very good Wolves squad then and I was very pleased to have been part of that promotion to the Premier League, albeit a very small part. And I, I learned loads under under Mick, and I've seen him recently, and and spoken to him about it. And I kind of wish I I got there when I was a little bit older, with a few more games under my belt. But I just loved I loved the area. I loved the passion of of the Black Country and, and everything that surrounds Wolves. Molyneux is a very special place, and uh, yeah, I see it as a, a great time in my career. And uh, of course, I've enjoyed going back there as well for for Middlesbrough playing against them. But uh, I think deep down, I'd like to have played more games. But in all honesty, I wasn't ready to do so. So I took a lot from my time there, definitely. Thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to the Molyneux View, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft 
Craft Beer Discovery Club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. Tim, fascinating insight. Absolutely fascinating insight from George Friend. And we're very, very grateful to him for coming on the pod to share his thoughts. Did anything surprise you about what George said, bearing in mind that you've done a, a very good piece uh, about Adama Trior in his background? No, not really. I mean, what's kind of coming across is, yeah, you've got to, I think you've got to look look beyond the freakish physical specimen and the diamond earrings and, and the blonde haircut and, and, and see a player who's humble and determined and, you know... F- yeah, I really enjoyed putting a piece together on him last week and spent a couple of days whilst in Barcelona for the game, um, kind of tracing his tracing his background. I went to visit his former club uh, on the outskirts of Barcelona, La Hospitalet, or however you might pronounce that, Jackie, and spoke to a couple of his former coaches who were delighted to see him doing so well. Spoke of, you know, a humble young lad from an immigrant background, you got to say, you know, a couple of uh, his parents came over from Mali to an impoverished area of Barcelona and this guy grew up on the streets, A, playing football, but B, involved in fights and, you know, issues with gangs as well. He did a very interesting interview with um, Guillaume Balaguer um, in a Spanish newspaper last week as well about the difficulties he had um, being brought up and that's kind of led him to be very close to his family but also very close to his roots and he talks about going back and maybe building a pitch, you know, where he used to grow up because the pitch he used to play on isn't there anymore and so... He's a very interesting character and, you know, hesitate to use the word, as I know you also would, but he's had a very good, very fascinating journey to, to this point and still very young. He's only 24. He's had to overcome um, disadvantages with his background and also with um, Barcelona, being let go from Barcelona or choosing to leave Barcelona, the club that he aspired to play for. And then Villa finally comes to England for his Premier League dream and Villa get relegated and he's barely played. So... He's gone to the northeast where he wouldn't have fancied going and reinvented himself and and in two short short years later he's been talked about as being good enough to go back to Barcelona. So it's a, it's a phenomenal journey but what, what I would say with Traore from what the research I've done into him and speaking to him personally and to his former coaches is that um, he'll stay grounded and also very determined to see where this can take him. It may be beyond Wolves um, but at the moment it's with them so let's see how far they can go together. It's always good to hear about a player who you admire for his qualities on the pitch, being humble, being a good person off it, because as we know, that's not always the case. But And, and some fans won't care. Some fans won't care if he's an arrogant so-and-so. But it is good to hear that he's genuinely not like that and, and he is a really down-to-earth person. But you can't get away from the pace this lad has. I um, covered his first match in English football at Selhurst Park for Aston Villa and he came on as a sub under Tim Sherwood. And I just remember my jaw dropping onto my ISDN kit in front of me. I literally never seen a human being move that fast. And I've been to athletics, by the way. I swear I've never seen anyone cover ground that fast 
and he took a football with him. Um, what do we think about his shoulder? Uh, how concerned should we be that it's popped out, what, for a third time now? Maybe not popped out completely, but, but slightly come out of its socket. And will he need an operation in the summer? Well, it's three times in three months. I'll, I've, I've never noticed that before happening to a footballer. It's unusual. And what was concerning about the Spurs incident was his arm was kind of tugged at elbow length. And it didn't look like a particularly nasty or, or big physical confrontation. And, and it's either popped out or disrupted or dislodged again. So research into this via uh, Dr. Spears, <laughs> retired GP, my dad, says, right, I've been texting this morning about this. Um, so the capsule stretches and gets worse after each dislocation, he says. Um so because of that stretching, surgery will be required to tighten it up and ensure that it doesn't kind of pop out in future. Um, so he, as he says, because he saw the game yesterday, it was only a slight tug this time. It was enough to kind of pull it out. Um, and physio work, physiotherapy, will strengthen the muscles um, around the joints, but no more than that. So surgery, yes, for the summer, I would say. That's that's something they'll look at. Um it, it looks manageable for now. He's ready to play on yesterday, you've got to say. He was okay after the match, doing interview duties and whatnot. But it's got to be a concern. I mean, it must be in tremendous pain. That's never happened to me. But it looks very painful. And what you've got to say in the ruthless world of football is that opponents will prey on it. And, you know, if, 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 you've, got, if you've got a player um, potentially going to win Wolves the game with his, with his skill and his pace and his power, and make the defender look daft. Yeah, then what are you going to do as a defender? You Well, I'd rather he was off the pitch, mate. So, yeah, I'll just have a little tug at his arm and we'll see what happens. It's going to happen. Of course it is. So it's a concern going forward. At the moment, it's manageable, but it's one to keep an eye on. And it might lead to him being rested a little bit, as we saw for the Norwich game last weekend. Well, that's what Jason asks, actually. He says, I'd be tempted to use him in the Europa League, but play 3-5-2 in the odd league game while Jota's bang in form. Well, do you know what? They spent £17 million on some lad called Daniel Pedence in January. And if Traore is having a few problems, then Pedence played right right of a three for Olympiacos. That's his preferred position. Let's see what he can do. He'll be, he'll be jumping at the bit to get involved. And if Traore is suffering, then yeah, let's let's see what Pedence can do and maybe have Traore off the bench if, if you need him. Okay, slightly changing tack. Um, Aklak Hanif, who I don't think is a Wolves fan, but um, tweeted, about time Nuno has done extensive press interviews and John Percy's comment on why his media relationship is tetchy was interesting. This was on Sunday Supplement yesterday on Sky. Arteta has done well so far, but Nuno would have been an excellent choice. So I think he might be an Arsenal supporter. But we were talking about how Arsenal weren't interested because of Nuno's public persona and the fact that he's not so media friendly in a way that Emery was. And they didn't want to make that same mistake again. But we're not so worried about Arsenal. But but from a Wolves point of view, what did you make of the Nuno interviews in The Telegraph, The Times and The Mail on Sunday? I wasn't surprised at all because I've sat down with him and others a few times. I mean, he's obviously done this with a few journalists, right? Because you've seen it pop up in, in a few publications on Sunday with three. I've done this before. It's called like a roundtable interview. We've done it with um, a few like the local journalists from the guys who cover the Guardian from the Midlands, etc. The Mail, um, and he's fantastic company. You know, away from that press conference environment, away from that. Oh, can you beat Man United this weekend environment? And he just doesn't want to go into it. When you sit down with him and you talk tactics, you talk his background, his life, what he thinks about the game, his philosophies. 
he's wonderful honestly he's wonderful he's he's so interesting to listen to he um speaks with this real like aura about him um so no it wasn't surprised at all and this is just going to keep coming up as as wolves and nuno become more high profile i think people are just going to be asking the question people are still finding out about nuno right you casual football fans they're like well you know why is he so grumpy it's just the way he is you know quite highly strong he's got a very very high pressure job and his energy throughout the football season goes into his first team players we've spoken about this before he doesn't he doesn't um doesn't really get involved in the commercial side of things or um the under 23s or the youth team or whatever he doesn't doesn't deal with that he's first team head coach his energy is 100% focused on his players so when it comes to somebody in a press conference saying, oh, who's the danger man for Watford on Saturday? He doesn't care and he's not going to say because he doesn't want to give the opposition any extra motivation. So he uses the media game. You can say he doesn't play the game, the media game. He sort of does really. Um, he plays it better than most because he doesn't give um, the opposition anything at all to kind of latch onto. So, fair play, you know what, the bottom line is he's doing a phenomenal job with Wolverhampton Wanderers, so his media persona, although it might annoy some, can, can just take a back seat, really. Yeah, and the main thing is to ask him open questions in a press conference that he's likely to want to answer and give a proper answer rather than things that, yeah, he, he, I think he described them as stupid questions, didn't he, in those pieces. Tim, bit of a reaction to our chat last week about the mix zone, and we actually meant it as a, a positive conversation about how amazing Connor Cody is for always fronting up as a captain in that area called the mix zone, where, frankly, you need players to go past to give you some quotes, and so does the Express and Star and other newspapers. Just explain what's happened there in the following week. Yeah, I mean, stand by everything I said last week. You know, the mix zone it can be a struggle some weeks. Um, as we said last week, Connor Code is the only one that you can kind of guarantee that will stop, and sometimes players don't want to do it. But I think what, what I should probably point out that is that the, what the, well, the club would say that the players are doing a lot more than they're used to because the demands on them are so much higher, but from other broadcasters. So... I joke about Matinho never stopping and never really doing interviews, but he did 50 minutes with TV last week and six of the starting 11 at Spurs did interviews post-match, just not necessarily with a written press. So there's a lot more broadcast demands on them, lots of TV interviews, lots of overseas broadcasters. So although myself and others may only see Cody, Doherty, Jota, Jimenez as being maybe the main ones who speak, they probably all do speak, but we just might not see it because a lot of those interviews will go overseas, for example. I think it's easy to forget the demands from overseas broadcasters on players as well. I mean, I saw Martino being interviewed before the game yesterday um, when he came in um, off the coach because everybody's the manager and one player's got to do an interview, haven't they, before every Premier League game now? But God knows where that went because the game wasn't being broadcast on UK TV. I just saw him pop up on my screen when I was at the stadium. I was like, well, who's watching that? And so, so I think it's important to point out that, yes, you know, the mix zone can, can be a bit of a struggle sometimes for attracting players. Not that it not that it was after Espanyol on Thursday. I managed to speak to three or four. But, yeah, there's a lot of demands on these players. So, um, overall, they probably do a pretty good job of, um, of servicing Wolves' many, many needs. Um, quick one on the stadium. A couple of questions from Tom McGillan asking about would you like to see the Spurs stadium replicated at Molyneux? Nebulous asking, would you want to demolish Molyneux, rebuild a 60,000 state-of-the-art stadium, redevelop, staggered phase or relocate to a brand new site, maybe use the, the Rico Arena um, if you're redeveloping Molyneux? First of all, on the Spurs one, 
how impressed were you? And was I right about that wall of fans, the steep bank that I was saying that we should get uh, replicated at Molyneux? Imagine the noise. I think uh, I think it was the best stadium I've ever been to. To be honest, it was it was a breathtaking, jaw dropping arena. And as you say, that that one tier, it was a shame that for Spurs it wasn't a huge game, or you know the fans weren't quite into it. Because I'd love to hear that at full volume. I bet it's quite something. I just kept thinking of a, of a South Bank that size. And yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, Spurs have set the standard and the template for others to follow. And it's right in the right in the middle of um, North London. It's not out in the middle of nowhere. Um, the facilities are unbelievable. Um, it does keep the noise in, you know, for big games. The views everywhere you sit are spectacular. The pitch, brilliant, close to the pitch. So they've done it perfectly. Um, can Wolves do that? No, they can't. Um, Spurs have spent an awful lot of money on that stadium and they fill it every single week. Now, Wolves aren't going to fill a 60,000 stadium every single week. We know that. So there's a lot of talk at the moment about leaving Molyneux, but I'm not sure what exactly... Um, it will be based on because the club certainly aren't talking about it. You know, it's not on the table for Wolves at the moment. They're looking at small redevelopments and improvements at the current stadium um, to try and boost chiefly their income, their corporate offering. And then after that, they look at increasing it by seats. Um, but the demand, although it's there for another few thousand at the moment, that might not be the case in a few years. So we've seen it in the past where stadiums have been have been oversized and, and built too big and years down the line they've become a bit of a, of a white elephant so I'd like to see a stadium redeveloped but at the moment it's not on the table Okay and very finally from Aid, Jackie will yourself and Tim ever invite a lucky guest onto the podcast just so you know I will bring cake now that second sentence is a game changer I would suggest Tim do you like carrot cake? Yes. Do you? Yes I'll take a bit of carrot cake. So in which case yes should we get Aid on at some stage? Aid, you're on, my friend. If you can bring cake, that is it. Well, thank you, Tim, for coming over. That's very good of you. I hope the cookies were up to your usual standard. They've gone. So, yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't last very long. Neither did the coffee. And thank you also to George Friend. Really, really grateful to him for giving up his time to come on and, and give us some insight into Adama Traore, the phenomenon that is that man. Wonder where his career will be taking him in the future. We will be back at the same time next week. So, in your podcast platform, five o'clock on Tuesday morning, as usual. Don't know where we'll be recording it yet or what our subject will be next week. But in the meantime, do read Tim articles. They are extensively researched and he talks to a lot of people to put some insight and, and depth into the analysis surrounding Wolverhampton Wanderers. So well worth subscribing. If you haven't already, use the discount code WOLVESPOD for 40% off your subscription. We will be back with you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>